This morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of life. Thanks be to God. Our text this morning begins with this, when it was evening on that day. On that day is the day of resurrection. Christ has been raised from the dead. The disciples and the women have gone to the tomb and found that it is empty. He is not there. The body they were expecting to find is gone. According to John's account, the only person who has seen the risen Christ when this story happens is Mary Magdalene. And now it's the evening of that first day of resurrection. And the disciples are gathered together in the house where they were staying, presumably the upper room where they had the Last Supper. But the doors are locked, we are told, because they are still afraid of what might happen because of what happened to Jesus in the crucifixion. They have yet to comprehend or understand what is going on, what God is doing through Jesus of Nazareth that we call Jesus the Christ. And yet, while they are all gathered there in fear, not yet comprehending or understanding, John tells us that Jesus comes and appears among them. Thomas is not there. Thomas is absent when Jesus arrives. Where is Thomas? Where has he gone? The Gospel doesn't tell us why he's gone or where he's gone, but it's very clear that he misses this appearance of the risen Christ coming to show Himself 
to the disciples. There is an acronym that's become well known among the younger set of generations in our culture. You may have heard of it. It's called FOMO. F-O-M-O. Which stands for fear of missing out. I know these confirmants know what that's all about. It's become so popular that in 2013 it was put in the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language. You should know this word. FOMO, fear of missing out. It rose with the advent of social media where through our phones we can see where people are and what they're doing even though we're not there. We can see how much fun they're having and who they're with. And they can put taglines and such on there so they can tell you we're having a great time. But you know what's happening is people who have made a different choice or are in another place begin to experience this fear of missing out. In a recent study, 75% of young adults asked about this said they had experienced this fear of missing out, being afraid that they're at the wrong place. That all the cool kids are someplace else and they should be there because they're missing out on something tremendous. And people begin to devalue their own experience and those with whom they are spending time because they fear that something better is going on or something more valuable is happening someplace else. The unfortunate part of all of that is these studies and research also show that people who really begin to use their social media morning, noon, and night, that are checking it every chance they have, experience a great deal more depression than other people. I think in my day, it was called jealousy or envy. It was not seen as a good thing. And by whatever name you call it, it is clear that it's not healthy for us to get caught up in this game of always comparing ourselves with someone else and living in the fear that somehow something greater, something better is happening for somebody else and we don't get to be a part of it. But apparently Thomas, the disciple, does not suffer from this. Because he's left the group. He's gone out on his own. We're not sure where, but he's not there. And Jesus returns as the risen Christ. And Thomas has missed it. John describes it in verse 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They are convinced that Christ has been raised from the dead and they have seen Him and they're ready to tell Thomas about that. But it's interesting to notice that just in the paragraph before that one, when Jesus first appears, the disciples do not recognize Him. Did you hear that nuance? Let me read those first couple of verses where John describes this. Verse 19, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace 
be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They did not recognize him when he first appeared or when he first spoke. They only recognize him after he shows them his wounds from the crucifixion. I think John highlights this for us, as do the other Gospels in their own way, because they have come to understand that the suffering and death are a key part of the revelation of the Messiah, of what it means to be Messiah or messenger of God, anointed one of God. It's a harder part of the Gospel for us to grasp. But we've been talking about all these last several weeks of how important it is to understand that God is with us even in and through our suffering. And Jesus' self-understanding of what it means to be Son of God and Messiah has to do with this willingness to suffer through it all, to endure everything. All the Gospels are clear that this proclamation about God through Jesus tells us about the very nature of God. And all of them say at the core of all of this is God's great love for us. And that even though we suffer, God suffers with us. And in fact, God endures with us and can endure through all things. The first proclamation is that God's love has the power to overcome even death. But in addition to that, there is a second promise or proclamation here. And it says, through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this divine love can move us in this life from fear to peace. From fear to peace, even in the face of our own fears, even in the face of threats and danger, God is with us. Three times in the twelve verses we read today, three different times, John emphasizes that Jesus says, Peace be with you. Peace. Be with you. Peace. Be with you. It's an emphasis throughout the latter chapters of this Gospel. That for those of us who are willing to believe and follow the promises that we will experience peace. Let me read to you the last instance where Jesus says, Peace be with you. It's after Thomas has returned. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Thomas has come to believe. Now he has seen the Lord. But then the story goes on. 
Jesus says to him, verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And then John tells us the whole reason he's written any of this. Verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe. So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in His name. These are written so that you may come to believe. So that we may come to believe. We're the ones who have not seen. This is a testimony for us. A promise and a proclamation for each and every one of us so that we might believe and of course through believing experience life abundant and life eternal. That through believing we may have life. Life and peace are related terms in biblical parlance. This whole idea of peace is bigger, deeper perhaps, than how we usually think of it. I remember the first time I was reading about this. I was reading a book that was talking about the Hebrew word shalom. And the author was saying this word shalom, which we translate as peace, has a much fuller meaning, a much bigger or deeper meaning than our word peace or what we usually mean by it when we say peace, which has to do with absence of conflict. This author was saying that in the Hebrew, the concept is that the peace of God means that we are offered all we need for life. Everything we need for wholeness, for well-being, everything we need to thrive is given to us by God. It is the peace of God. That's a bigger meaning than we often think of when we read these words. But when you hear these words out of John, peace be with you. Think about this offer as being one from God through Christ where you are offered everything you need for life. Everything you need for wholeness. Everything you need for well-being. Everything you need to become the person that God created you to be. That God intends for you to be. But then there's one more thing in this passage we want to note before we finish. In verse 22, Jesus says to these disciples, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the love of God. Receive the power of God. In just a few moments, these confirmants are going to come up to the railing. Each one of them will kneel and we will pray for them that they receive the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit might be working in them to change them evermore into the likeness of Christ. To help them grow into the person that God has intended for them to be in the world. God's Holy Spirit surrounds you now and forever. Hear that, confirmands. God's Holy Spirit will be with you now and for the rest of your life. God is always with you. It's a great thing to celebrate that God offers us through Christ the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. 
And as you believe the promises, you will experience the fullness of life. All the riches and blessings that life has to offer. It's so easy to think after these young people have been studying all year long since last August that this is the end. And it is a great time to celebrate their efforts and their studies and their accomplishments. But this is really just the beginning of the blessings that God has in store for you all. Not just for them, of course, but for all of us. But this is just one step you all are taking in your journey with Christ. One step, as John Wesley said, in terms of growing in grace. Wesley had a great illustration when he was talking about grace. He said, think of it as a house. He said there's this provenient grace that is God at work in our lives before we ever recognize it. And then there's this justifying grace, which is what we're celebrating here this morning, where you come to that moment in your life where you recognize that God loves you and God has sent us Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior and to guide us and to teach us and to reveal the nature of God to us. But Wesley said at that point, It's only like God has led you up up the steps and you're standing at the front door. He says if that's as far as you ever get, you miss the grandeur of the house. You miss the greater experience God has in store for all of us. You miss getting to explore all the other rooms of the house and seeing everything that God has in mind for you. We're just at the front door. Wesley said there's so much more. The whole rest of your life lived in harmony with God. He called it sanctification or the process of sanctifying grace where God works with you to grow in faith, to experience everything that God wants you to experience. It's a journey of a lifetime filled with God's love that changes you and transforms you ever more into the image of Christ, the promise of the gospel for these confirmands and for all of us is that this is a journey of blessing, that it's a journey of peace. It's the journey of life that God wants for each and every one of us. May it be so. Amen.